Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today's episode is called Hacked, an investment look at IT security. With a wave of cybersecurity attacks and incidents over the last few years, it's a topic on everyone's mind. With the rise of AI, individuals and businesses need to be ever more vigilant as the hackers are getting even more sophisticated. Today, we have an industry expert, Patrick Gray from Risky Business Media, to talk about all things cybersecurity, what to be wary of, how to protect yourself, and of course, we'll talk about the investment opportunities and implications. Just a quick reminder, this podcast is general advice only and is not intended to be specific to your personal financial situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation and how to improve that, you can book a call with me or one of the advice team at nucleuswealth.com. Today, as always, we have Nucleus Wealth's Chief Investment Officer, Damien Klassen. Damo, welcome. Hey, Sam. Hey, Damo. As mentioned in the intro today, we also have a special guest, Patrick Gray, who has a cybersecurity podcast, and he's been a cybersecurity journalist since 2001, uh, before it was even called cybersecurity, I believe. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Excellent. So Patrick, would you like to, uh, if you could just give the listeners a bit, a bit of background about, uh, about your pad podcast, you know, and why it's this, this uh, sector has captured your interest for such a long time, just so they can get a bit of a feel for who you are. Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, I, in high school, uh, a long million, you know, a long time ago, a million years ago, I had a bunch of friends who were interested in computer hacking and whatnot. And that's where my interest came from. And amazingly enough, you know, decades later, it's, it's still an interesting discipline. So I first started reporting on this stuff as a journalist in the early 2000s. And just stuck with it. And around 2006, 2007, I sort of got sick of writing about uh, cybersecurity uh, for people who weren't in the field. So I founded a, a weekly podcast called Risky Business, uh, which is really just for people who work in cybersecurity, law enforcement, intelligence. And, uh, and I've been doing that ever since. And it was just me for a very long time. And these days, uh, you know, we're a niche media company with about, there's about five of us now, and we do a bunch of um, you know, newsletters and podcasts all about cybersecurity for people in cybersecurity. And the audience is, um, you know, I mean, the company's based in Australia, but the audience is definitely global. About 85% of the audience is based uh, outside of Australia, over half in the United States. And, um, you know, that's, that's what we do. Fantastic. Thanks for that. Uh, my name's Sam Kerr. I'm the Senior Financial Advisor at Nucleus Wealth. In full disclosure, Patrick is a client of Nucleus Wealth. I just thought I'd better add that in. Uh, we are live every Thursday at 12.30 Australian Eastern Time. So jump onto the Nucleus Wealth YouTube channel and you can ask any questions that come to mind and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Nucleus Wealth is also a super fund and we're currently offering a free no obligation super review. In that review, we'll give people clarity on uh, how you're actually invested and whether that's appropriate. Uh, we'll look at the fees and make sure you're not paying too much and also have a look at the tax saving opportunities on offer. So you can book in via the description there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the intros done. So Damo, over to you to get the ball rolling. Yeah. So what, where I um, sort of wanted to approach this from is there's been a few pretty high profile uh, hacks in the last uh, couple of years and, and share prices get hit pretty hard when, when it happens. So uh, Medibank, Optus, uh, latitude, you know, even um, 
you know, Tech Darling Canva got hit um, a few years ago with, um, with with data breaches. And so I just wanted to, I, I thought well worth grabbing uh, Patrick on to have a bit of a chat and, uh, and talk about where the vulnerabilities are. Um, it also seems that there's a, given there's a, um, uh, you know, been a release, a lot of AI tools and, and um, uh, you know, these large language models that sort of allow scammers in particular to sort of clean up their language a bit more. And so you can't rely on spelling mistakes and, and, and half broken English to, to, to alert you to, um, uh, to, to, to clear scams is that, um, you know, where the vulnerabilities might lie and, and, and what, um, uh, and what we're seeing done to, to protect us. So um, yeah. I might start. What's well, should, where, where should we start? We start with the AI and 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 I guess the the casual scammers. Well, I mean, I just want to start off by by mentioning something, which is that data breaches don't tend to have a lasting impact on share prices, mm. which is something that that I mean, for a long time, the security industry would always say, "Oh, you've got to invest in securing your infrastructure and all of your data and your services because you've got to think about reputational risk and you've got to think about the risk to your share price." I mean, just while you were talking, you know, I brought up Medibank's share price, and it is about where it was immediately yeah. prior to the breach. And we, and, and we invested after the breach with a view that look, it's probably one that's going to clean up and yeah. sort of stuff out. But yeah. but I guess I guess this is the issue, isn't it? Is 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 a breach a sign that actually they were unlucky, or is it is it a breach a sign that they were um, there was something endemically wrong? And, and I guess it's multiple breaches would certainly you think start to put a few yeah a few look dents. It really depends, right? Like it really does depend. It's entirely possible. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of review of what happened at Medibank at some point. Uh, you know, it's entirely possible that they had a, appropriate controls and just got unlucky. I do believe that the attackers who who hacked into Medibank attempted to ransomware the company but didn't succeed. So in that regard, you know, they actually scored a win, but unfortunately a whole bunch of very private data was exfiltrated um, from them. But I mean, really there's there's, you know, two major threats that are impacting business at the moment. One is ransomware and data extortion, which I'd sort of grouped together under the same loose heading. This is where you've got criminal organizations, uh, usually based in Russia, and their affiliates. Uh, they come and hack into a company, they steal data, uh, they try to deploy ransomware, and then they will ransom the companies to say, hey, you know, if you want to be able to use your computers again, you need to give us $20 million. And, um, you know, if they can't deploy ransomware, they'll often just hold the data and say, well, if you don't want us to release your data onto the internet, you'll have to pay us. Um, so that's one very big crime type. Okay. So, so just to, and just to clarify for, for listeners and for myself, as I want to make sure I'm getting this right. So the ransomware is I've locked off a bunch of files that you really need to run your business and encrypted them and, and you can't get it back. And, and if, you, if, you, if you send me this money, I'll send you the keys to, to let you back in. Yeah. Basically, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, it's it's it, it you know ransomware once it's deployed onto a computer renders that computer inoperable. So mm. the operational impact from a ransomware attack is devastating, which is why so many people will pay to be able to end a ransomware incident. Yeah, and and so um, uh, and, and I guess from from this perspective, it's a it's talking about if you can get into a vast number of computers that the people have, or I suppose get into some of their their servers. But but I guess in terms of backups, um, is is this a sort of does ransomware sort of infect your backups as well? Because it's you know you hear some people who are like, well, I lost a couple of days of work and then I just went to my backups and and we're off and running. 
So, so it, 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 it depends, right? So some yeah. ransomware crews will get into an organization and gradually corrupt backups until they're no longer uh, useful. And I think, if anything, the rise of large-scale ransomware over the last few years has pointed out that a lot of these backup solutions just aren't very good. You know, right. I mean, they back up your data, but then when you go to restore it, it turns into a project instead of pushing a few buttons. Right. So that's something we've learned. I think, um, you know, a lot of organizations have really put a lot of effort into building more secure, reliable, robust backups. And that's why we see now that some ransomware uh, group will gain access, access to some network. You'll see a bit of news about it where they isolated some systems and, and restored from backup and they got back up and running. So it is certainly possible to win um, in these situations. But I don't know, you know, quite often yeah. you'll have attackers who have persistent okay. access to the environment and they just come yeah. back and do it again. There's, so. there's no winners. It's just degrees <laughs> of loss, isn't it? Isn't that? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, you find that there are... Yeah organizations out there that are well positioned to not have to really worry about this stuff so much. I mean, you think about uh, sectors that have been historically very attacked, uh, you know, like banking, for example, you know, I think the chance of a major bank in Australia being ransomware is, is very slim. So yeah. it can be done. It's just expensive and requires a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's where I'm, where I'm, where I'm leading to with this is that so, so, so that's so we've got the ransomware one, and then then you've got the okay. I've got your I've got your customer data and if, and some sensitive data, and if you don't let me, yeah, if you don't pay, then I'm I'm going to release it to you know. And that, and obviously, there's the the issue with that is that will they just come back again for another bite in six months' time and twelve months' time, or whatever? Well, funnily, funnily enough, these these criminal groups actually have a fairly decent track record of doing what they say they're going to do, and that's because okay. credibility is important if you're operating a shakedown like this, you know? If you get a reputation as someone who takes the money and then either comes back and asks for more or doesn't hold up your end of the bargain, people mm. will just stop paying. And yeah. already the rate of people who pay to have their data deleted is not as high as the, the rate of people who will pay to render their computers functional again uh, because right. of that operational impact. So that's, yeah. so that's a, a couple of crime types there that, that are grouped together in one. Yeah. And the other one is, is business email compromise. Right. Okay. Let's get back to the. Let's go those. Okay. So, so because because on these ones, I'm thinking through. I guess what I'm I'm going is okay. If I'm running something where it's not particularly time sensitive, then the ransomware is is less of an issue than if I'm sort of I've got my operational systems that you know people are hitting all all day long. And so so I guess what I'm saying is if you're a you know if all, if all my salespeople all got their their CRMs hacked and and they can no longer get into um you know they, they can no longer call clients and chase up new leads. If if I'm saying okay, I'm waiting a week or two and 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 then I'm back up and running is like well that's not as much of an issue as if I've got lots of live time systems that people are accessing and you know as you said say a bank or, or whatever that where where um you know I've I've got those risks straight away. And then the flip side, the, and then the other part is that um, uh, you know the obviously the uh, the ransomware. Well, if if we're only storing emails and and names of you know whatever it is corporate clients, then that's not as much of an issue as as if we've got obviously got tax file numbers and credit card details and and all that type of you know, personal data. So I guess there's as a sort of looking through companies and trying to isolate where which are the, which are the big risks, I suppose, in terms of you know um, you know say say you're a manufacturing company. Um, it would seem to be that unless you're sort of particularly um, hooked up everything sort of into the, uh, you've got all your production systems also on, on, on 
machines that have also been compromised. Um, and, and I guess what your thoughts are around, I guess, where you're seeing the most, which are the sectors that you'd look from an investment perspective and go, these are the most at risk from, from say, a ransomware attack? So anyone's a anyone can be a victim of a ransomware attack. And yeah. this is because thanks to cryptocurrency, it's now possible to uh, get paid a ransom, right? Uh, there's no KYC requirement on Bitcoin, so uh, this has enabled a whole bunch of um, a whole bunch of crimes, and ransomware uh, is certainly one of them. So, really, you know, I mean, the way that you looked at that, well, oh, maybe our salespeople lose access to their computers. More realistically, a ransomware attack against your organization will affect every computer at your organization, and people won't be able to do anything. They won't yep. be able to do their work, right? So, the operational impact is is quite devastating. But you're right. These groups tend to go after organizations that, you know, have a much more critical need for their computers than others. So hospitals are a absolutely favored target of ransomware crews. I mean, we've seen instances where uh, patient deaths have been linked to outages caused by ransomware uh, at uh, hospitals, particularly in the, in the United States. We've been lucky we haven't seen that here, really, uh, in Australia. Just this month, uh, we saw two attacks against casinos uh, in the United States. So MGM and Caesars uh, both had ransomware attacks affecting them. Uh, Caesars paid. They paid $15 million uh, to, to get the attackers out of their network. MGM didn't. And MGM, you know, I mean, they operate a number of casinos and resorts in, mm. in Las Vegas. They had a bunch of their slot machines down. The ones that were functional you had to put cash in them. So there was no, the card system that enabled their poker machines wasn't working. So people who wanted to cash out of their machines would have to press a button and wait 20 minutes for a staff member to come. And, you know, some of these staff members normally worked in the office and they're out there with their, you know, with their bum bags full of cash doing pokey payouts. Yeah. Uh, all of the food and beverage ordering was all messed up. The room key system was messed up. So uh, in that case, as I say, MGM didn't pay. They were able to restore, but it would have cost them, you know, millions of dollars and i mean probably tens of millions i guess we get to find out in their sec filings eventually mm. yep. yep 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 okay so that's that's your ransomware ones um uh business email compromise business, business email compromise one, yeah. yeah no sorry actually before you get to that so so in terms of the the so we've seen um you know medibank so basically anyone who's storing credit card information is obviously is probably the first target but but in terms oh, of not, those... as, not as much anymore. I mean, credit yeah, card yeah. numbers are still popular, but that's kind of a legacy prized data set. You know, mm. like these days you've got cryptocurrency exchanges where if you can hack into them, you can just steal the money. You don't then need to bypass anti-fraud system by systems by processing a bunch of stolen card numbers because, you know, banks have got pretty good at spotting fraudulent transactions. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously credit card fraud still exists, but crypto, you steal it, it's gone. Right, yeah. we saw the biggest attack of the year just happened this week. Uh, that was a two hundred million dollar USD theft, uh, just in one single attack. And mm. we've got entire countries that have dedicated uh, government intelligence agencies to stealing cryptocurrency. So uh, there, I'm speaking about North Korea. They steal billions of dollars worth of crypto uh, and uh, funnel it into into their nuclear weapons development program. So, you know, crypto, I'd say, would be, certainly be a bigger uh, target than credit card data. Mm. And really, these days, it doesn't matter what the data is. If you can get a ran ransomware into an environment and cause a mess, people will pay to, uh, to clean up that mess. And when it comes to uh, data extortion, 
some people pay to save themselves the embarrassment or there might be stuff in their emails they're worried about regulators seeing. Uh, and, you know, they'll, they'll pay, but it's less urgent usually than, than a ransomware attack that's disrupting operations. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So, so, so from this front, we're talking companies that, that sort of store critical data. And as I guess MBF is, is probably a reasonable example of, yes, people have a lot of medical information that, you know, that they'd like to keep private. And, and while, while there's not a devastating sort of financial effect, it is, you know, immediate, I guess, immediately for, for people who have been hacked from that way, there is that, I guess, further identity theft, then, you know, if, the more data you're storing about a person, you know, credit, uh, Birth certificates and well, yeah. The more the more leverage you've got then over the uh, over the victim organisation for sure. The the more sensitive the data is, the the bigger the leverage. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So so um, yes, that sort of limits, I guess, a lot of people who uh, you know, and and I guess sorry, it also needs to come back to more likely to be um, consumer information rather than business information. I'm guessing in that not necessarily. um, We've seen we've seen an awful lot of law firms getting targeted. Law right. firms are actually okay. a preferred target as well. And quite often there's commercial and confidence information held by law firms yep. uh, where if that is leaked, it's quite disastrous to their clients and to the reputation of the firm. So this, as I say, this oh, affects yeah. everyone. You know? No, no, I, I know it does. I guess I'm just trying to get a little, I'm just sort of running through my, my companies yeah. that, that we're investing in and saying, okay, well, if I've got companies that are, say, mainly business to business, then, yeah, there might be some, some commercial stuff that they, they, they may or may not want to get out. Sorry, they prefer not to get out there and, and things like that. But... Uh, I guess in terms of a reputational damage is if I have to tell all my customers, hey, um, they've got your passport number and your, you know, and your and your and your um, driver's license numbers out there, you got to go redo all your IDs. That's a obviously more, more concerning than if if I'm telling a, a, a company that, hey, um, you know, all those invoices we sent you and you know, yeah. requests and stuff like that are, might be out there. It's like, well, sure, but I mean, you know, we've even seen cases historically like salesforce got hacked i mean this is going back 15 years ago or something and you know they had an intrusion where someone stole a lot of accounts related information and they used that information to then send malicious invoices to salesforce's customers that looked like salesforce invoices and arrived from the correct account you know account management person and everything and then when they opened them they had malware in them and you know, right. they actually managed to steal yeah. a bunch of money that way. So, but again, like you go back to this this thing where we just talked about Medibank's share price being back where it was, you know, like yeah. it's very unusual for these incidents to cause lasting damage to an organization's reputation um, yeah. or share price. So, which, you know, as someone who's been in security for a long time, I find it a little bit depressing because we always want to see the wicked punished, you know? Yeah. We yeah, want to yeah, see yeah. the careless people are, are suffering for their carelessness, but it just doesn't seem to work out that way. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I guess it's that coming back to that, you know, we spoke a little bit about, you know, are we normal? Are we getting to the stage where some of this behavior is being normalized in terms of saying, well, you know, yes, you got hacked, but, you know, people get hacked. So maybe it wasn't your fault. There's a part of it, it, there's a part of that now. Although, I mean, I would not want to be the next Australian health insurer that gets hacked, you know. So I think that's right. what quite often happens is you might see some sector being targeted. Right now, in the United States, every single company that operates a casino is sitting down with their CISO, asking them what they need. Uh, that's that's typically what happens because no one wants to be the next one because yeah. uh, then it looks bad. Mm. Yes. Yes. Um, and typically, I guess, I mean, okay, so, so from that perspective, um, typically how long do you think um, 
these attacks would go on for in terms of oh sorry what's the the, the prelude to the attack so so that's a great example is you know they might not want to be the next one but um you know if, if these things take a couple of months to sort of play out is it possible that there's a couple already waiting ready to go that just haven't reached the, the limit or or actually that once these guys are in they try and go pretty quickly to, to avoid detection well, I mean, you've got to understand something you've got to understand about this whole ecosystem is it's quite fragmented. It's a really interesting business because you've got these ransomware developers uh, sitting at the top of all of it, and they're the ones who actually create the software that does the encrypting. And they've got a payments platform and everything. So they're like software as a service, basically. But they don't go out and do the attacks and actually deploy the ransomware. You know, that's left up to affiliates. So affiliates are the ones who get into a network, identify ways to spread that software all around through the organization and pull the trigger and, and, and do that ransomware attack. And even sometimes the affiliates, they're not the ones gaining the first level access to the company in the first place. That goes down to people called initial access brokers. So what you've got is this really complex ecosystem of people with different specialties. And then, you know, beyond that, you've got people who'll handle the, the money laundering side for you, right? Some more successfully than others because, you know, the FBI tends to have great visibility into, into a lot of that stuff. But, yeah, it's a really fragmented thing. And, you know, it, the life cycle of an attack might be some hacker gets access to a large organization. They get some persistent access just to one machine. Um, they talk to their friend who's an initial access broker. They might sell it to that person who then on-sells it, on-sells it, on-sells it, and then all of a sudden you've got a ransomware attack. So all of this stuff is constantly going on mm. uh, behind the scenes, and there are a number of organizations that are you know, penetrated right now uh, that have no idea where someone could choose to, to then use that initial entry into an organization to attempt to perform a ransomware attack. Mm, yep. Okay. And sometimes, sometimes it can be a matter of initial entry to full full ransomware compromise in like a day. Um, mm. You know, normally I think it's it's more like a week or two, but it, it can happen very quickly. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So the, so then uh, and, and, and uh, yeah. So and and so I guess from that perspective, you know, if we're talking about who's going to be the next one, they're probably if 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 I'd if I'd started to hack another casino one and then i saw that mgm just got done i'd probably want to accelerate because i'm like well everyone's these guys are going to all have a you know everyone's going to start having a look if you know what i mean maybe yeah i mean that's yeah, yeah. actually a reasonable thing yeah. yeah i would think that yeah. anyone who was planning on pulling the trigger on a ransomware incident at a casino at the moment has a fair chance of being detected at the moment because everyone is looking yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay okay sorry it's so an email um email interception Business email compromise is another one. Now, this, in terms of the money that it earns for criminals, is actually substantially larger than ransomware. But it's not particularly sexy, so it doesn't get as much attention. Uh, but essentially what business email compromise is about is someone will hack an email account at a business. So they might do this by doing what we call a brute force attack against that account, just trying different passwords until they get in. Or perhaps the user of that... Um, of that uh, email account has used this, the, their email address as a login somewhere and used the same password at like a forum that they're on. They've used the same password that they use for their email and someone has hacked that forum and has that data. So then you've got that person's username and, uh, and, uh, and password. So essentially, you know, someone gains access to a business, business's email mailbox and then they get in there and they study, you know, uh, what this business does and, you know, does money fly around and, and, and these sorts of things. And then eventually what they'll do is they'll gradually try to work towards having control 
over uh, an email address that has something to do with accounts. And then they might contact a, you know, uh, someone that uh, has a business relationship uh, with that company and say, hey, uh, you know, we've updated our bank account details. Next time you pay our invoice, you know, this should be the, the bank account details. And then, of course, because they have access to those inboxes, they can edit invoices that are going out to people to include those new, new account details. And the money gets then paid into an account that the attacker controls and then laundered and exfiltrated into, into another country, never to be seen again. So this is affecting everyone from, uh, you know, very large companies to really anyone that processes transactions $10,000 and up. You know, companies that do, you know, sole contractors who do bathroom renovations. You know, if someone gets into their mailbox, they can start, you know, uh, editing the invoices that that person sends and, uh, you know, collecting money that is that is rightfully owed to them. We've seen it, uh, you know, targeting real estate firms and conveyances and solicitors and just right across the board. We've seen a couple of spectacular ones. There was one, oh, it was quite a while ago now, but it was someone did a business email compromise attack against Facebook and Google. Facebook paid this person $150 million. Um, but obviously they were able to recover that because that's the sort of thing that the FBI tends to respond to when you ring up and say, oh, you know, someone just made off with 150 mil. So in that case, the attacker was the dog who caught the car. But it's still a worthwhile, um, you know, case study of like just how vulnerable we are to information that we email around being manipulated. Uh, so business email compromise is an absolutely massive problem. Yeah, that I mean, I must admit, it does sound though to me from an and I'm you know I'm talking from an investor again perspective is it sounds to me more that seems like a low level fraud, um, sort of consistent a bit in the same way as if I'm um, you know if I'm a, a credit card company I know there's going to be a certain amount of fraud and I, and I guess what I'm I guess one thing is as a business or, or you know or I'm a I'm, I'm a retailer there's going to be a certain amount of theft. Is it almost seems as if this is a low level one. Obviously, if you're in the business and all that type of stuff, you want to do everything you can to, to, to get out of it. But as an investor, it's sort of like something we almost have to accept that this is going to happen at some point. Mm, I mean, it, it can be existential kind of. for some of these mm. organizations that are involved. This isn't like mm. a cost of doing business thing. Mm. Um, sometimes these BEC attacks, they get away with a lot of money. And we've seen right. people in similar types of uh, attacks. I think, what's that conveyancy firm? PEXA? Is that what they're called? Uh, Pixie, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there was a case where a young family had a bunch of money stolen out of um, Pexa. And I think it's because it wasn't a business email compromise. In that case, I think it was their accountants, you know, or their, their conveyances account got uh, compromised or something. And, um, you know, at the time, Pexa were refusing to cover the loss. Um, funnily enough, that family just happened to be the most telegenic family you've ever seen in your life. Right. So there they are on a current affair, living in a caravan, looking adorable. And um, as a result of that, the the policy changed and they got their money back. And now um, uh, those sort of accounts, uh, there, there, there is some fraud protection. But, you know, you do see absolutely heartbreaking stories of where, you know, people do lose substantial amounts of money in, in BEC. And, you know, you don't have to be a big business to be transferring around large amounts of money. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, so yeah. And I... And I, I I guess I don't want. I don't want to downplay it. As you said, you know, if you're a, if you're a plumber and or you know, or, or as I said, a bathroom contractor, and yeah. you've just lost thirty grand. But is this a threat to BHP? Probably not. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm going yeah. for, no, for I, the bigger I companies. It's it's yeah. a yeah, it's a persistent, but um, yeah. Um, okay, so so uh, you know, and and this the idea now that the AI, the AI tools, and we were just talking about the just before we were briefly, you know, commenting on that that, that often the AI is not as good as you as as it, as it might be advertised. Um, but I guess there's the uh, you know in our conversation before you spoke about a lot of the a lot of the companies involved in security already have AI and, and say credit card companies have already been using AI um, to try and you know, pick up fraud and things like that. Uh, and so that's at one side. And I guess really what OpenAI to me has done is, is it sort of democratized or made it easier, I suppose, for, for, for other people to, to access AI. And certainly the scammers and the, you know, your, your, your average Nigerian prince who just wants to transfer his money, to, to, um, you know, can probably um, access some much, uh, you know, much better terminology and 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 more convincing text from, um, you know, I think I think AI tends to be relatively good at some of the marketing stuff. Some of the stuff doesn't need to be exactly right, but just needs to sort of feel right. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I guess your thoughts on on uh, you know, are we going to face a, a wave of of new um, of new scams and new and new problems coming through. Look, I think the biggest risk from large language models, because that's really what we're talking about here. I mean, we've used, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we've used AI mm. uh, in in security for a long time, but we call it machine learning, right? Yeah. And we've used that to do everything from correlating events in logs to tell us when something is going on. You know, that's a very common use. Using machine learning techniques to examine files to see if they might contain previously unknown strains of malicious software or viruses, right? So there's, there's been, you know, we've been using this stuff for a long time. This large language model stuff has just led to absolutely incredible amounts of hype. Um, you know, the direct applications in security are kind of few and far between. So you're right in that scammers already have their own LLMs where people have been able to take some of these models and remove the guardrails from them so that they can be used to do malicious things like generate convincing fraud emails. Mm. So that's certainly going to help uh, you know criminals with the scale and, and productivity side of things. I'm not sure it's that much of a game changer. On the defensive side though, you can also, when it comes to processing language that might be involved in fraud attempts and, and whatnot, you can use this stuff as well to uh, get an indication as to whether something's fraudulent. But it's, you know, this open AI stuff, it's computationally expensive. So it's not something you'd really do at scale. So there is a, a role for it, but it's far from being a game changer. We've seen some interesting little uh, use cases. One of my clients, one of our sponsors, uh, they use uh, ChatGPT to explain things uh, to their customers. So they make a network monitoring tool that generates alerts based on suspicious behavior. And, you know, there might be one, you know, alert that comes out of it. You can, you know, then click on that alert and, and get a chat GPT generated description of that alert, why it may have triggered, you know, and the nuances and whatever. So for them, it was just a way to generate a whole bunch of knowledge that they could push into their product. Uh, so that was cool. But, the, you know, the, the, the open AI hype train is just, has just been absolutely amazing. Uh, to watch. Yeah. Absolutely amazing because um, mm. I think people have thought, oh, this is going to change everything. But I think certainly in security, I don't think it's going to change all that much, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and look, you know, the stuff, 
I've done with it. You know, in investing, in investing, you know, as I said, machine learning's been around for a long time, and and there's yeah. lots of people have been putting a lot into it, and so uh, you know, the democratization of machine learning. I think just means that more people will discover that actually machine learning models are particularly good in, in the stock market. But you know, you've, yeah. you've now got a much broader universe. Well, I'm of people sure. I'm sure you've discovery. got. I'm sure you've got a bunch of models yeah. that occasionally will give you a signal and say something funny's happening over here, and that's oh, what yeah. ML is useful for, right? It's the same. It's the exact same use case as security. It's yeah. just your inputs are different. You're looking at market signals. You know, we'd be looking at network and you know, uh, uh, computer-based signals of things that are happening on our networks and in our computers, but it's essentially the same thing, which is something unusual is happening, uh, yes. which is what you want to know as someone who's in the markets and it's what you want to know as someone who's responsible for securing computers as well. Yeah, exactly. Whereas if you're somebody who says, I'm just going to rely on that signal to, to, to go and buy and sell things, um, yeah, you, you, you quickly find that the, the historical signals are... are it's, a, it's a great way to... Okay. to, to it's a great way to uh, earn a small fortune uh, if you're starting with a big one. I'd imagine. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, the uh, sorry that that did lead me to something that I was thinking through on that. Um, ah, Demo, that? we're just going to go to a quick sales message. Yeah. We'll be back with the investment insights very shortly. Nucleus Wealth is an active and passive investment manager. If you like what you're hearing and want some help with the investing, we can do it for you via our active portfolios. Our tactical and core portfolios use the insights shared in this podcast to construct and manage your investment. We blend tactical portfolios to offer our combinations of international shares, Australian shares, government bonds, and cash. We vary the asset allocation with the goal of protecting your capital in times of market uncertainty. We also have active international and Australian share portfolios. These are chosen using our quality and value investment philosophy. You can find out more at nucleuswealth.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, so the other um, sorry, uh, the other sort of extension that I wanted to talk about then was the uh, the idea then of um, some of these models now that are generating both voice and uh, I guess early stages of video where um, you know the, I guess it's a responsive enough that you can you can sort of if you if you I guess if you've fast enough typer you could and and you're happy for the person at the other end of the phone to 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 be slightly delayed in terms of responses you can you can make a voice sound not like yours or, or more in particular like like somebody else um, yeah his voice is out there yeah so, voice yeah. based uh, voice based authentication is dead hmm. i mean it's deader than dead it is completely dead it right. is its ashes have been scattered it is the service has been held it's done yeah yes um, and I mean, but you're hitting on something interesting here, right? Which is that the a lot of the issues with this gener generative AI stuff, mm -hmm. it's more around content than, you know, hacking. So we're going to be seeing absolute deluges of computer-driven and computer-generated content just kind of polluting the internet. Mm. Uh, I think recently if you put, and they fixed it, Google fixed this, but if you put countries in Africa starting with K, into Google, you know, sometimes you put a question into Google and it gives you an answer up the top. It's pulled it out and highlighted it. Yeah. And the answer was was some absolute gibberish that was indexed based off a chat GPT output that someone had prompted and then put on a web page and then Google indexed it. And it said, there are no countries right. in Africa that start with K except for Kenya, which sounds like it starts with a K but does not start with K. <laughs> so this is the sort of 
nonsense that we're going to be dealing with because clearly what someone has done is generated a whole bunch of content, mm. stuck it on the internet. Now it's being indexed by Google. And so really, I mean, it's not so much an issue now, but imagine five years from now when you're going to try to research something, you go and research it. How do you know what you're looking at was had any diligence applied to it whatsoever or is just chat GPT output? Same goes for images, you know, uh, AI-based image generators. Uh, terribly convincing now. How do you know what's a real image and what's fake? You know, yeah. I mean, there's. I think right now there's a, one of the top, I, I saw this, I think it's the top result in Google Images for Tank Man is an AI-generated selfie of the tank man in Beijing taking a photo of himself in front of the tank and it looks right. real, you know? So, so I think there's going to be some challenges there in terms of, um, you know, misinformation, disinformation, and just knowing what's real and what's not. So I, you know, that's the stuff that I'm more worried about, um, is just these tools ability to generate massive amounts of content and, um, push them out yeah. all over the place. Well, that the part I guess I was leading to with that voice part is that you know it's the um, you know most most kids are, are are alive and well on on TikTok and social media and and videos of themselves out there and you 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 work out who the parents are and you grab the you grab the the, the voice recording and it's a phone call to say hey I'm stuck wherever can you send me this much money yeah let me let me, yeah. let me flick my let me flick my bank account and, and and if they ask questions and you can respond back and you know. But I mean, we've seen people do that already with compromised Facebook accounts, right? So you compromise someone's Facebook account, work out who their parents are, and then message them and say, "Hey, I, I you know, you got to give me yeah. a credit card number. I'm, I'm in a jam. Yeah. I can't talk right now. My phone's out of service or whatever." And you know, yeah. and that's the thing. It's just, it's just, you know, but it's much more step along. It's iterative. You know, it's much more convincing if it's a phone call. <laughs> it is. I, 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 I yes. grant you that absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. Okay, and and so yeah, so so from your perspective, yeah, the the um, I mean there was there was an there was an initial sort of thought as well that um there were all the, there were going to be all these other AI tools, and so it's sort of like going to be you know the, the scammers deploy their AI, and then I deploy my AI to try and work out whether the scammers one's real or not. But um, you know, it sounds like a a um uh it sounds like we're getting we're we're getting enough realism from from these ones. It's, it's just going to be very hard to tell. Yeah, I mean, even if you're using OpenAI to tell you whether or not something is probably OpenAI generated, like, I don't know, it's just, there's better ways currently uh, to identify fraudulent mail, particularly when you're operating at scale. Um, so do you need to deploy an AI to fight an AI? I don't know. I mean, we just have to imagine that these criminals speak better now you know, and, and sort of act accordingly. But we haven't really relied on bad spelling to detect email fraud um, in the on the industry side, at least. We haven't really relied on that in a long time. You know, it's just going to make it a little bit more convincing to the user, but the challenge for the industry is to s detect, you know, when those emails shouldn't be going to to users or detect when there's been a compromise in, in, in someone's account, you know. Yep. And, and so in terms of identification, um, yeah, there are ways uh, you were spoken before, uh, you spoke a little bit about tokens. Maybe do you want to sort of run through, I guess, what are the, what are the, what's the, the latest and greatest in terms of identification? Sort of yeah. Process? So in terms of authentication technologies, I, I'd imagine most people would be familiar by now uh, with the concept of multi-factor authentication. And what that means is, you know, for, for plenty of people when they want to log into a, you know, certain account, 
they enter their username, their password, they press login, and then they get sent, you know, a one-time code via SMS that they then have to enter into the into the website in order to grant them access. And that means that if someone steals their username and password, it's of limited use because they also need to steal their phone number. Mm. Now, unfortunately, stealing people's phone numbers is actually not that hard. You know, uh, you can walk into, uh, particularly in the United States, uh, you know, it's called SIM swapping. And essentially, you can say, oh, I lost my phone. I need a new SIM card. This is my number. Uh, you know, here's my address. Or, oh, no, I left my ID in the car. Sorry, you know. But quite oh, often, you can, you can get it. It's with my phone that got lost here. Yeah, exactly, exactly, right? So, um, you know, SMS-based authentication is only so effective. But there's been a lot of work done in security over the last, I don't know, probably, oh, I think, five to eight years. Um, on a technology called WebAuthN. And what that is, is essentially some very high quality um, plumbing for robust authentication. And it's manifested, I guess that the, the example of this that most people would be familiar with is gonna be passkeys, which is a relatively new feature on iPhones and uh, I believe Android devices as well. And passkeys rely on this underlying technology called WebAuthN which essentially makes it impossible to um, uh, fish someone, right? Because the authentication, like it's like I'm going to lose your audience if I really get into the nitty gritty yeah. of how it works, right? Yep. Um, but basically there's a bunch of clever cryptography involved and you can only authenticate to the service. You can't accidentally authenticate through a malicious third party, which is how phishing often works, even with these one-time codes people can still fish them because if you're on a page controlled by an attacker, you're entering your one-time code into their page and in the background, they're just passing it along with your username and password and, and getting access. You can't do that uh, with pass keys. So these are going to be a big thing that people use. I mean, uh, another manifestation of those is hardware security keys like um, YubiKeys, uh, which some people listening may have heard of. Um, but they are also, they use that that FIDO2 sort of um, uh, technology, which is what backs WebAuthn as well. So there's a lot of work being done on that. But, but, there is a big but here. Your authentication is only ever as good as the procedure for resetting it is. Right. So you might have the best multi-factor authentication in the world. So, you know, I spoke earlier about how Caesars Palace and MGM got hacked this month. The way they got hacked is someone rang up their help desks. They already had the username and the passwords for their, uh, uh, what's called their super admin accounts in their Okta. And then these are the accounts that run the whole organization. So somehow they obtained the username and password for those accounts, but they had robust MFA enabled. So they just rang the help desk and asked them to reset it and they did. Right. <laughs> so, and this is the problem. So how do you fix that? Uh, and a lot of thought uh, has to go into that. And it's a big challenge for large organizations that deal with a lot of people is how do you have uh, robust procedures for doing things like swapping SIM cards to, you know, issuing a new SIM card or uh, disabling multi-factor when someone says, oh, I lost my phone or I lost my, I lost my hardware security key. So, mm. you know, this is the thing about security that I think people from outside the discipline might not understand is that, you know, there's no easy fixes here. There's no easy fixes. It's a complicated discipline with a lot of moving parts. A lot of it is about trade-offs. 
a lot of it is about accepting certain types of risks. You know, so there's no absolute solutions here. And as much as I'd love to sit here and say, oh, but we've made tremendous progress. It's true in a way, but we've all, we also keep changing the way we do IT. You know, big push into clouds and, and, and software as a service. And, you know, those bring with them new security challenges. Sometimes they look quite a lot like the old security challenges, but you need entirely new tooling and approaches to deal with the challenges. So it's a constantly evolving discipline and it's not going to be, you know, an authentication technology that fixes everything. It's not going to be a new operating system that fixes everything. There's no one tech or one change that we well, need to make. It's an arms race as well, isn't it? Yeah, my army is. is way better than it was 20 years ago, but so is the, so is the people trying to get in. Yeah, but I mean, we've, we've won at certain things, mm. you know. I mean, the fact that we've got iPhones these days or, you know, contemporary mobile devices, the only people who can reliably hack into them are nation states paying millions of dollars mm. for the tools that they need to do that. And that's a win, you know. It's not a win for, unfortunately, for the, you know, human rights defenders and journalists, some of whom have been killed after their phones have been hacked uh, mm. by, by some of these tools. It's not a win for them. But the fact that we've restricted the target set for the owners of those devices to such a narrow group of people is, you know, if you, if, even if you go back 10 years ago, it was unthinkable that we'd be able to achieve that. So there are certainly areas where we've, where we've won, uh, but we just keep adding new technologies and new risks. And, uh, you know, the industry just has to keep plugging away at those. Mm. Yes. Um, we spoke a little bit before um, in this, you know, your I guess your take on banks. Um, so banks, you know, obviously seem like the, the the biggest risk one, but I guess your your thoughts on on banks being effectively security companies. Well, it was actually it was actually an executive at CBA, like, and I mean, twenty years ago, who I had that conversation with. He was an ex AFP guy, uh, John Gertz, who I no way would he be there. Now. AFP, Australian Federal Police, just for yeah, Australian Federal Police, and uh, I remember having that conversation with him once, and he said, well we're a security company, aren't we? Like that's how banks kind of started is we'd take your money and we'd keep it safe in our safe. And, you know, now the money's digital and the way we have to keep it safe, the way we store it and keep it safe is, is different. So, you know, I'd say the, the big four in Australia would be probably the most uh, capable, among the most capable organisations in Australia when it comes to their cyber, managing their cybersecurity. They're quite good at it. Because it's in their DNA, they have to be. Yeah, and and it would seem that a lot of the smaller banks um, would tend to piggyback off a a broader group anyway. In terms of like, I'm assuming there's not a that a lot of smaller banks have, have got sort of shared systems or across. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I I I don't know too much about smaller banks in Australia. I, what I can tell you though is that, you know, like when you look at the US banking sector. It's just amazing that they're not having more trouble. Because, I mean, some of these banks over there, they run, you know, that's Bob. He's got a bank, you know. It's, it's just incredible the number of, of banks and credit unions over there. Um, but certainly in Australia, like the, the fact that we tend to have larger banks, um, you know, bodes well. Because, you know, security is something that it helps if you've got a bit of scale because you need yes. to throw a bit of money at it, right? So it's the bigger you are, the you know, in some ways it's easier and in other ways it's harder because you've got more to defend. But, um, yeah, you sort of want to be in the middle, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I guess, yeah, I guess the message is, you know, what you would traditionally think of as probably one of the most vulnerable uh, sectors is probably doing the most, and as you said, I've got some of the, more, the most competent people out yeah. there. 
Well, there's a difference between being the most vulnerable and being the most attacked. You yeah. know, and uh, yeah. And, and and so in terms of uh, listed, so if we're getting ourselves out of sort of uh, hospitals and um, and and lawyers, which you said are sort of some of the key ones at the moment. Uh, in terms of listed companies, you know, where where do you think that where do you see sort of see the, the the most exciting news in terms of also yeah, from from your perspective, the most most headlining grabbing news? Where, which are the sectors which you you'd be worried about? What in terms of attacker behaviour? In terms I mean, of being look, hacked, yeah. Look, you know, over the last few years. We've seen major incidents at what JBS JBS meets that shut them down. We've seen the Colonial Pipeline. Mm. You know, these are two of the biggest incidents in the last few years. One's meat processing, the other one's an oil pipeline. Yeah. And then we've got hospitals and we've got Garmin, the wearable GPS, and you know, they got ransomware. They had to pay because the attack was existential for them. If they didn't pay, there was a question mark as to whether or not they would be able to recover. So, okay, so we've got GPS and, you know, wearable tech, oil pipelines, meat processing, hospitals and law firms. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's anyone. It's anywhere where, you know, these attackers might have a little bit of a poke around once they've got initial access and see, hey, we could do some damage here. Mm. That's the criteria. Profitable company can disrupt operations. They'll pay. Or they, they have a good chance of paying. Uh, so I, I would I would just really caution people into thinking that this is a sector specific threat because mm. it was it was I mean you would definitely have orgs like banks would be the ones that would really be you know you would think would be targeted but now it's like anyone anyone who is profitable has money and needs to keep operating is a target. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and so well, and then I guess in, yeah, okay. In terms you of see like, what I mean, right? Like it's no, it's, no. Uh, no. Yeah. I guess I guess I'm trying to go again. Okay, well, there's certain companies that have got that like I wish I could sit here and stuff. say, oh, you need to yeah. really consider this as a portfolio risk in this vertical, you know. But it just yeah, doesn't work that way. Good. Yeah, yeah. And it, sorry, well, <laughs> yeah. And, and it does sound though as well that that there's not a lot. You sort of there's, some companies have a bit of a reputation for underspending, for example, on 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 IT and and say. Um, uh, uh, what was it? The airline, one of the airlines that had a lot of problems, Southwest, I think, last year with you know, then when all their systems started falling apart, and everyone's like, yeah, that, these guys have just got a reputation for never spending on IT, and so yeah. you know, it's come back to bite them. But some but, of it, I mean, but some they weren't actually is, hacked. That was some, just them blowing it up themselves. <laughs> some of it is uh, sort of sector specific for that reason as well. So, like hospitals, every dollar they spend on a security control is a dollar they're not spending on patient care. So yeah. they don't like spending a lot of money. So they tend to throw less of their, you know, less of their margin goes into into security than other yeah. organizations. Funnily enough, one that is historically underspent is superannuation funds. Right. And, yes. uh, you know, because they're all operating on razor-thin margins. So, you know, I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen more drama affecting superannuation funds here in Australia. Yeah. Um you know, and that's another thing. Like, here's me saying, well, that seems to be an underprotected uh, uh, area, mm. but nothing's happened. So what do I know? Basically, 22 years. Well. I have no idea. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it, it's uh, as I said, it's, it could happen. It could happen quickly, though, as well. As that's said. right. Like, it's not a, yeah. And they're obviously sitting there with a lot of, a lot of uh, pretty key, key money for, for a lot of people. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I think from, from my perspective, um, you know, the, and we, we sort of don't like to, you know, we, we go through, we have quite a long list of security measures we use ourselves and we're like, well, 
do we actually tell people everything we do because that'll help ease their minds or do we actually keep that quiet because the last thing we want to do is advertise to people <laughs> here's, here's the a hackers. list of the controls here's, we exactly. use yeah. yeah here's a list of stuff you, you you shouldn't try anything that's not on that list is something you should be trying yeah yeah i mean it's hard right and and quite often it's not a case of just you know having a certain number of tools or controls it's about having the people to operate them or you know for smaller organizations sometimes it's about having some sort of managed security service provider uh that can help you so it's not necessarily about uh you know in-house skills I mean, I think that's an area where we're going to see growth, actually. Like, if I was going to predict one area where we're going to see growth, it is going to be in managed security providers. Yeah. Um, well, that, that was the part I was going to get to was the next part. Like, I mean, I, I know from, you know, I, I started a, a research firm in, in 2000 and we had, you know, all our servers ourselves and database guys to keep them up to date and RAID arrays and having to take, you know, um, stuff home yourself, the backups yourself and stuff like that. And, um, and nowadays it's also Amazon and runs way better and all that type of stuff. And Amazon gives me this long list of security reports and issues. And, you know, whenever anyone logs in with the root password, I, you know, I get SMS and all this stuff like that, which is, you know, way better than I could, even if I, even if I had a staff of two or three, you know, it's, it's way better than I could possibly imagine, you know, I, I, we could, we could sure. produce out of that thing. Sure. But if um, someone finds a vulnerability in your web application. That is running yeah. in that infrastructure. It's not yes. going to show up in your Amazon access logs, and no. your data and your data's still no, gone. Not. So no, it's not, but it, you know, but, it, but I guess it's guess it's this. Um, yeah, I guess what's leading towards what, what you're saying in terms of it's the managed people who are basically saying around the idea that um, you know if, if you're a smallish or even a medium sized organization, actually some of these bigger companies are going to do a far better job of the security than you could ever hope to do. Yes, and I think it's finally true. So for a long time, managed security providers were a compliance checkbox. So right. people never really expected to get value out of them. It's like, you know, is someone monitoring your logs? And they get to ch check the box that says yes, and then they would outsource that function to the lowest bidder. Right. And yeah. usually yeah. bad things would happen to those companies. Often bad things would happen to those companies, but it's a compliance checkbox. And it was just a market that didn't incentivize greatness. Let's mm. just say that. it was a It was a market that, existed for a long time to uh, help people check boxes uh, as opposed to actually delivering genuine value. That's right. changed. There's actually quite a few firms now in the in the managed, uh, what they now call the managed detection and response market that do quite work. I mean, quite good work, but it, it, it's expensive, right? Um, and it's always that balance of like, well, it kind of needs to be expensive if it's, if it's going to be good because <laughs> you're right. talking about sharing access to a bunch of very highly paid specialists. But it is a market that I've watched evolve over a, over a long period. And now I look at it and I see very intelligent people doing very good work instead of people who are just doing, uh, what did they call it? I had one guy uh, called it log and flog. Right. That's what it used to, that's what that, that's what they used to call it, the log and flog market, which is just, you know, get those logs in and, you know, sell them a cheap yeah. contract and away you go. So I yeah. think yeah, and, there, there and, is hope for SMEs, basically. And actually, just to, just to explain for the non-tech guys, the logs we're talking about is basically um, anything happens on your server and stuff like that. There's somewhere there'll be a log of, the, yeah, somebody accessed this or somebody logged in with a password or somebody went and changed some setting or something like that. Yeah. And and, yeah. and, and what you're saying is that, yeah, it's fine to do that, a bit, but if nobody's actually looking and saying, you know, it's more to... You can come back in after you've been ransomware and go, oh, hey, look, you know, somebody, yeah, yeah somebody hacked exactly. our password and this is how they got in. You know? Yeah. And yeah. so, like, well, we could have told if we if we were actively watching it, we could have found this out, you know, three weeks earlier and saved ourselves a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah they do save people, you know, like they have. I, I know of people who've worked at those companies and they do. They they catch stuff. 
and say, okay, wow, uh, we need to shut that down. The funny thing is, though, the ones who are successful, like it's when they get their customers to, to tick the box that says they're allowed to actually do stuff when they see an incident unfolding in a customer's network. And a lot of people don't like ticking that box. Historically, they didn't like saying, oh, we're not going to give some third party the ability to do things on our network. It's not going on. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, uh, but that's the sensible choice because otherwise you've got a managed service provider who is just sitting around watching their client getting progressively hacked worse and worse and unable to do anything and reach anyone on the phone. So, Yeah, yeah. Excellent. And, uh, and tips for people to, um, in terms of their own investments, you know, ways that to, um, to keep track of, you know, ways they can avoid being hacked in terms of from an investment point of view. And I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, I guess in terms of, uh, so, so, okay, so you've, you've got your accounts, um, you know, if, if you're, if you get an email from somebody saying, hey, uh, we've, you know, where, oh, okay. where yeah, no, I see. Like we've, how, just changed, we've just yeah. changed our account numbers and all that type of stuff. You know, can you update your records to stop stop depositing your money to this account and start depositing it somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a giant red flag, right? Like that's something mm -hmm. that people should be on the lookout for. Like, uh, you know, we moved house four years ago and I believe me when I was uh, when I was ringing up and double checking everyone's account numbers by phone. Yeah. Um, that is something that I that I always do. So that's a good thing to do um, is to is to usually have some sort of process for confirming things like account changes and account numbers that you're transacting with for the first time. That's something yep. I'd recommend. And then just all of the usual good, you know, cyber hygiene stuff that we talk about, like keep your computers up to date, you know, patch them when there are security updates available for them, install them, uh, particularly for your browsers and things like that. You want to make sure that your computer is in a reasonable state and, uh, you know, get yourself um, uh, some, you know, basic antivirus software and whatnot, and you should, you know, be okay. And use multi-factor authentication wherever you can. So, uh, and, and just be wary that some of that stuff can be fished. Um, I would protect, I protect my accounts with a hardware security key, but that might be a little bit overkill for just uh, the, the average person at this point. But, they, you know, you can use pass keys now with your Gmail account. So just, I would say people should use the strongest form of authentication wherever they can, you know, keep their computers up to date run antivirus software and always be of the mind that anyone cold calling you uh, is probably not who they say they are. And anyone emailing you and asking you to do things with money, probably also not who they say they are. Yeah, you know, I've got my, uh, yes, that, that goes out to my father as well, you know, I was trying to explain to him that your own kids don't want to help fix your IT problems. Strangers calling up over the internet definitely don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes. Yes, okay, we're just, just going to go to a quick sales message. We'll be back again shortly. If you like what you're hearing but want a low-cost passive option, Nucleus Wealth is the first to offer passive direct indexing in Australia. The first generation of passive investing was index funds. The next gen was ETFs. Now direct indexing is here with significantly more customization and control. The benefit of direct indexing is you can add or subtract investment themes, and we have almost 100 different options to choose from. For example, you could buy an international share direct index portfolio that excludes fossil fuels and arms manufacturers and has a tilt towards cybersecurity and cloud computing. Alternatively, you could buy a portfolio with no screens and an extra exposure to nuclear power and defense contractors. You can find out more at NucleusWealth.com. Now back to the show. 
Now we have our question of the week. So this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comment section over the coming days. So the question for this week is, what is the biggest AI threat in cybersecurity? So feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days. So Demo, now over to you for investment implications. Yeah, I'll have to, and I'm, I'm just going to do a, a, quite an abbreviated one of this because I was, you know, I guess I was what I was hoping to get out of the, out of this was that, like, okay, yeah, I thought about some of these sectors, and these ones seem like they're not they're, they're underspending versus other ones, and and they've got the characteristics that you'd expect that uh, that uh, you know, I don't know what might be say utility sector for example, you know, some of the characteristics that people want to hack them and 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 um, as, you know, we spoke about pipelines and stuff like that, and they probably don't spend a lot on IT, but. But um, yeah, I'll need to have, have a bit lo bit of longer think because you know, as Patrick has said on several occasions, it's not not any one particular sector. It's it's now uh, a lot. It's been democratized. Yes. Yes. Uh, malicious <laughs> malicious behavior and crime has been democratized. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, Good and, news, everyone. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, the, and the other problem, obviously, is that you know it, it is hard to tell when people are underspending. You can try and you can do it a little bit, and and we we spend a bit of time, you know, that's why we'll talk to companies and competitors and and things like that, and you, and you get an idea when people are underspending. But but sometimes companies look like they're underspending, but actually that's just because they're actually pretty good at what they're doing. And there's other ones that look like they're overspending, but it's because they've bought four different companies and they're they're running four different IT systems that probably should be one. But, yeah. but they can't do it. And so... Um, well, it's yeah, not just about money, so that's absolutely right. You know, it's not. Yeah. You, can, you can't just throw money at something and expect it to improve. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll cross to Sam. I'll, I'll yeah, just one, one thing I just want to add as well is with our screens and tilts, so we do have a cybersecurity tilt. Uh, so if you think this is going to be a growing industry over the coming years, you can put an extra exposure into any of your portfolios uh, for cybersecurity, um, uh, yeah. So that's, that's a that's a group of the sort of top uh, eight largest cybersecurity companies uh, in the world. That's yeah. So that pretty much wraps us up for today. So Patrick, just want to say thank you so much. Uh, we've all learned something today, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a pretty interesting uh, uh, sector over over the coming next two decades. So um, yeah, thanks for your time and thanks for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks. And Patrick, do you want to give a quick wrap to your any of your where people can get more information for you? Oh, look, I mean, if people want to check out the podcast, uh, it's called Risky Business. It's pretty easy to find, but we are pretty deep in the weeds. And unless you work in the discipline, you're probably going to find about 40% <laughs> of it absolutely baffling. Um, okay. But uh, people, can, uh, people can go check it out if they'd like. Excellent. Thank you nice very much. Pleasure. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, so if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you do share it with them. Uh, that wraps us up for today. So for myself, Damien and Patrick, thanks for watching and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.